joy is a universal human endeavor. All of us want a life of happiness and contentment, but the circumstances of life seem to undermine that pursuit at every turn. Philippians is a letter written by a man named Paul from a jail cell in Rome, and though his circumstances are grim, he writes of a joy found not in our where we are, but rather in who we are and who we know. For in Jesus, there is always reason to rejoice. Now we turn to uh, the Word of God, which is, uh, I hope, I think, the best time of the morning. And uh, for this, we are turning to Philippians uh, chapter 4. We have been in Philippians for a while. Uh, We're almost at the end. And so Philippians 4 is the last chapter. And uh, we have today just two verses, uh, verses 8 and 9. And uh, if you have a Bible, it's great to open it up. If ever you uh, don't have a Bible, you forget yours. We always have them uh, just on the tables as you enter. And so uh, that's there for you to grab as you need it. Uh, Our topic this morning is is peace of mind. Peace of mind, which I think is, I think you could fairly describe peace of mind as as one of the holy grails of modern living. We we know our society, we know our workplaces, we know our family schedules, we are a frantic people, Uh, we are a heavily distracted people. Um, Even now, there may be notifications, things that on your phone are, are telling you are very, very important and that you should look at them and and not listen, that's kind of the, the world we live in. And so we long, in part, uh, just for peace and quiet, but, but really peace of mind. The sense that everything is settled in our life, just a ability to relax. Um, vacation companies know this. This is why when they are trying to sell you a trip, uh, they show you pictures of a beautiful, tranquil, sandy beach, rather than the lineups at security at the airport. Right? They know that even though you have to do one to get the other, they want that, the peace of mind that is going to come once you're able to board a plane after hours of waiting on the tarmac. That's, but that's what they're selling. They know that we crave peace of mind. Also, advertising companies, they work hard to connect the dots between their product and some sense of peace of mind for us, that if we were to buy this thing or sign up for this service, that it would bring a measure of peace to our life. I came across one, a fairly blatant example uh, from Toyota. You can see it there. Uh, They basically want us to know that if you would simply uh, buy a Camry, that man, your life would be much more peaceful, right? You would have, at least in terms of your automobile life, uh, a real sense of of peace of mind. Now, we sometimes get the impression that uh, modern living itself is the thing that has disrupted our, our peace, uh, Don and I have been watching the uh, CBC reboot. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Ben. That's very good. There'll be a little something extra in your <laughs> paycheck tomorrow. Mm. Lovely. Um, see, Don and I have been watching uh, the reboot of Anne of Green Gables. Have you seen Anne? It's a great, great show. And uh, Road to Avonlea, it's, uh, you know, part of Canadian history. It's about when you watch um, something from uh, a bygone era, you you can get nostalgic about it. You can get the sense that, man, life in Avonlea, it just seems to be more peaceful, doesn't it? I mean, there's always a beautiful setting, right? The trouble seems smaller. The pace of life is slower, right? If, if only we could get back to that kind of a rural lifestyle, then we would have genuine peace of mind until the episode comes where the crops fail and uh, the boat sinks or you know someone's health deteriorates and you realize that, that actually an unpeaceful mind has been an issue for humanity since the beginning of time. We have always struggled with this. And that's why Paul has written to us already about uh, issues of anxiety, 
In our verses last week, Greg took us through some passages dealing with the challenge of anxiety, the challenge of what we do with our worry, and we were reminded that the very best thing we can do, rather than to be anxious, is to bring our request to God. And that if we do that, uh, verse 7, which was the last verse from last week, uh, says this, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, that kind of seems like the end cap of the discussion of peace, so that if you do that, then you will receive peace. But actually, our next couple verses are a continuation of the same topic. And uh, the, our verses begin with finally, but it's, it's more of a bridge, kind of like finally then, like in the next thing about peace, here's what God has to say. So we're still talking about peace. Uh, we know this uh, in particular because verse 9 says, the last part of verse 9 says, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So verse 7 and 9, uh, they kind of are like bookends uh, on the topic of, of peace. And within it, we find God's uh, recipe, God's instruction towards uh, a mind that is in fact peaceful. And in that, I believe God has a word for each one of us today. In the midst of our lack of peace or our trouble and, and our desire to gain more of it, this is, this is God's word to us this morning. So with that in mind, uh, we're going to read from uh, Philippians uh, 4, verses 8 and 9, and uh, this, is, this is God's word to us. Finally, brothers, <clears throat> whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. It's God's word. Let's pause for a moment of prayer. Lord God, we are thankful for this time together. I'm thankful, God, for everyone that you have brought here. I'm thankful, Lord, that uh, as we spend this time together, uh, Lord, we have not come to hear the wisdom of man, but we've come to hear the wisdom of God. And I pray, Lord, that you would indeed speak to us, Lord, that we would have ears to hear what you are saying. I pray you'd help me, Lord, to articulate uh, the truths of this text. And Lord, for all of us, regardless of, uh, of how we've come in here, Lord, I pray that we would, we would come to know you more. Uh, we would come to understand ourselves more. And in that, God, I do pray for uh, uh, a blessing of peace through your word. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So even though there are just two verses, we are actually going to find three key points Amazingly. I don't know how the math works on that, but three points are going to guide our time together. We're going to work through them one by one. Uh, the first is this, a virtuous mind brings peace. We're seeing in the text here uh, the principle that a virtuous mind brings peace. Now, the mind itself is, is a pretty amazing thing. The human brain is a pretty amazing thing. Uh, we know that there are just billions of neurons that are firing, uh, that our brain has an amazing capacity to process and store information. Um, I, was, I was surprised to learn, though, that there are actually computers that are more powerful than the human brain. I didn't, I didn't know that. I learned that uh, our brains can hold 3.5 quadrillion bytes of information. It doesn't mean that you actually have that much in your brain, but it could. It could hold that much, Okay. And you can process uh, things, you can do 2.2 billion operations per second. That's, that's what's going on in your brain. It's amazing. But uh, the K computer by Fujitsu, uh, it can hold 30 quadrillion bytes of information and it can perform operations at 8.2 billion uh, times per second, which is far superior. Now the downside is that it's 
it's very large. Here's a picture of it. Uh, it takes up a whole room. It, those are all the servers for this, this computer they built to do mathematical processing. And to power this thing, it takes uh, 10,000, the energy of 10,000 homes to power all of these servers. I mean, for us, uh, we, I'm told, it's 20 watts of power for our brain, and uh, it fits nicely inside our head, which is great. Some of us, a little bigger than others, but still, it's much more manageable, right? So, I mean, if you think about God's design for the human brain and our mind, it's, it's incredible. It's versatile. And our mind really is, uh, in many ways, the essence of who we are. It's, it's the core of our being. Uh, this is why Jesus says in Mark 12, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. What he's saying is the very best thing for each one of us is for us to love God with the essence of who we are. That, that, that will make for the very best. You're fulfilling all of the commandments if you do that. It's, it's the mind to which Jesus directs our attention, and, and that's just like our text today. We see that verse 8 puts a similar weight on the importance of our thought life. Uh, we have a whole list of, of virtues there, all these good things, and then we have the command, we are to think about them. And that word think, uh, in the original uh, Greek, it's, it's more than just like think in passing, just kind of think about these things, it really means uh, to ponder, right? To really contemplate, to meditate, to fill your mind with these good things. Uh, it's interesting to remember, we, sometimes we forget that God isn't only concerned with what we do, he really is concerned with what we think. Which makes sense, because if his promise, if, if you're here this morning, God's promise to you is that he will, he will transform you. He will make you more and more like Jesus. He will make you into a more and more godly person. And so that means that he's going to transform you from the inside out. And that includes, includes our thoughts. The promise we get from the, you know, back in the Old Testament about the time of redemption for God's people includes this newness from the inside out. Uh, we see uh, from the prophet Ezekiel this. God says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. There's some metaphoric language there, but really what it's saying is that to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus, you are going to be remade from the, from the inside out, from the core of your being, your heart. Outwards, God is going to remake you, and that's what we see in Scripture. That by the, the Holy Spirit, we are made new, we are given a new heart, as it were, a new spiritual life. And that that new heart then begins to infiltrate the rest of our being. And, and that includes our mind, what we think. And so we, we also see in scripture that um, our, our thoughts are something that we are to, um, to, to harness, to make obedient to the things of God. So here's a couple of spots where uh, God talks about our thoughts. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10.5 says simply, take every thought captive to obey Christ. So if you're a believer here, God's word to us is the very best thing for you is for all the things, I mean, just think about this for a second. Think of all the thoughts that are going around in our brain. God says what's best for you is for every one of those thoughts to be obedient to me. For the things that you think, the things that you, you dwell on, the things that you contemplate, they should all be in accordance with the Bible. I mean, that's, that's a massive command, but it, it's there and it's true and it's for our good. Here's another one. Uh, Romans 12, verse 2. Uh, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And that's what we find in our verse today. We find a whole list of things which are good and acceptable and perfect. Uh, it says we are to think about the true, 
the honorable, the just, uh, the pure, the lovely, the commendable, everything that is excellent and praiseworthy. This is part of the way in which we grow in godliness and part of the way in which we experience the peace of God because the principle is this, that a mind filled with these good things is inherently peaceful. And a mind filled with their opposites is inherently conflicted. I don't think this is a surprise to us. I think if we think about the human experience, we see this played out. Uh, For example, just think of the devastation that comes from thinking untrue things about yourself. Imagine a teenager who has been told all his or her life that, that they're trash, that they're garbage, that they're not worth anything, that they'll never amount to anything. It's not just that they haven't experienced love, they have been told lies about themselves. We know the lack of peace that comes from that kind of an upbringing. We, we can imagine, I think, the, the sense of, of, of conflict within their soul as they, as they think those things, the lies that go over and over in their head, I, I'm worthless. I, I won't amount to anything. No one, no one really wants me. What's the answer for that? that kind of turmoil, that lack of peace. Well, well, the answer is truth. The truth of God. That that God loves you. That God wants you. That God has a plan for your life. When someone comes to know that truth, I mean, really know it in their heart, in your mind, and and the lies that other people have said are are cast aside, and the truth of God is is there, it, it brings peace. It brings healing. It brings a sense of wholeness as a person. See, When our mind is filled with the truth, there is peace. But when our mind is filled with lies, there's there's a lack of it. There's conflict. Also think of the inner conflict that comes from uh, contemplating something that is unjust. So we see here in in our word that we're supposed to fill our minds with justice. What about if you even, you you haven't done anything wrong yet, but you're thinking about it. Um, If you remember, I don't know if you ever studied uh, Macbeth when I was, Teaching, I had to teach Macbeth. And uh, Macbeth and Lady Macbeth, they're a piece of work. Uh, King Duncan invites them to his castle and their plan, Lady Macbeth in particular, is we're going to kill King Duncan and we're going to claim the throne. And so the reason the play is so long is that they spend a lot of time wrestling with this, right? They spend a lot of, there's inner turmoil even before they do it. Should we do it? Should we not? What's going to happen? And then after they do it, of course, they're plagued with guilt and there's no peace, That's always the way it is when we contemplate injustice. You see it in the eyes of children, right? Even before they're going to do something, they have this look. There's a lack of peace, right? They have a Sharpie. There's a computer. They know they shouldn't, and yet they they do it anyway. Why? Because there's sin, and then there's a lack of peace in the eyes of the father when he comes and sees what's been done, but it's for a different reason. So... The inner turmoil of of injustice, we can see it. What's the answer? Well, the answer is to come clean. The answer is to repent. The answer is to receive the forgiveness of God and also the consequences that comes with our crime. See, a mind filled with injustice is unpeaceful. But one that is filled with justice is is full of peace, settledness. You're not worried about people finding anything out because there's nothing to find out. One other example I think that um, is prevalent in our world is, is impurity. We see there that we are to have our minds set on whatever is pure, and yet we know that our culture is, is not pure by and large. We know that it's very easy to fill our, our minds and our hearts by the things that we watch and read and listen to with a lot of impurity, with uncleanness. And uh, it's no wonder then that there is, 
such a measure of brokenness in our society. That, that this is what is filling our minds. See, what we fill our minds with tends to corrupt us because it's the essence of who we are. And then it leads to actions. So, so the power of our minds is such that impure thoughts do lead to impure deeds. I, I heard a very uh, sort of extreme version of this, but I think it, it plays out uh, in terms of our regular experience. I was uh, listening to, I listened to all these podcasts about different stories, you know, from around North America and they were telling us one story about this uh, hotel. It was called the, the Sunshine Hotel. It was on uh, the lower side of Manhattan in New York. And this hotel had been built in the 1920s. It was, you know, a great hotel in its time, but uh, over the years had become very run down. And so it had become really a flop house uh, for all of the sort of 70s, 80s, and 90s. It was finally torn down in 1998, but they did this story just before it was torn down. And what you find in the Sunshine Motel, you can get a room there. Actually, it's, a, it's like a cubicle, kind of almost a cell, for $10 a night. One of the few places in New York where you could, you could find that. And so the clientele that it attracted were the down and out. Those who were down on their luck, those who were, you know, just trying to get by. Some people were there for, for years, really. And uh, as the interviewer kind of went to just get a picture of who was there... There's a lot of brokenness, a lot of, I mean, the, the place itself was filled with, with drugs and violence. It was that kind of a place. But there was one guy in particular that caught my attention. His name was Max. And Max was there. He hadn't been there very long. And uh, he, he was different because he was an architect. Uh, he, was a, he was a family man. He said he had a family back in New Jersey, a wife and kids. And they asked him why he was there at the Sunshine Motel. And he said that he had come for a two-month break. He wanted to come, have no strings attached, and be able to do heroin, and be able to indulge in every way that he wants, and not worry about affecting anyone. This was his plan. Now, here's what he said. Here, I want to read you some of his words. He says, uh, what I'm doing, he said, it's grotesque, I know, but I enjoy it. The experience is so disgusting, uh, so gross and grotesque, but I'm kind of making an art out of it, out of the experience of it. Now, the next day, it's interesting, uh, Max was arrested, not surprisingly, on drug charges. But just think of what it takes to get someone to a place where they think it's a good idea to leave their job and their family to go to New York to do heroin all day. What, what must Max have been filling his mind with for probably years up until that point? What, what measure of impurity and uncleanness? See, he was an educated guy. And certainly, there's the lure of drugs, but even in his mind, he thought that this seemed like a good idea. See, a mind filled with all that is dishonorable and impure will lead to turmoil. It'll lead to destruction. But a mind filled with good things will lead to peace. That's what we see in our text. If there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things, and the God of peace will be with you. And so the text is is driving us, it wants us to make the connection between what's in our brain, what we do, and who we are as a person, the, the peace that we experience. And so I think it's right for us as individuals to, to reflect for a moment and to consider, what is it that I watch? What am I filling my mind with? What are the content of my thoughts that rattle around in my brain all day? What memories do I dwell on? Are there conversations from the past that, that I just keep coming back to and as I reflect on them, it just brings out a, a bitterness in me, a frustration of something that's happened in the past? Are, are there memories, are there untruths that have been said about me that I, that I keep reflecting on? What might happen if I make a concerted effort to take those thoughts captive for Christ? 
What might happen if I, if I put time and energy towards filling my mind with all that is good and pure? If I, if I pick up this book and I read it more often and I pray, Lord, I, I really pray, God, I want your word to wash over me. I want the truths of your word to inform who I am. Lord, I want to have in my brain what you say about me. I want, Lord, to be able to see what is pure in the world and to pursue that. See, it's a combination of discipline and a combination of, of affection that we really do want more of the Lord and we trust that in that we will get something better than the, what the world has to offer. There'll be a better peace, a, a stronger measure of joy because instead of the, the impurity of the world that promises such, such joy but offers so little, we get genuine peace from the things of God. Now, we have to be careful though because the point of this passage isn't simply that we need to think good thoughts. I mean, that's kind of the bread and butter of all of the self-help books that we could find on the shelf today, right? Think good thoughts, uh, mind over matter, project positive energy. If you just visualize it, then it will happen. And to some extent, it's true. I mean, we've seen the principle, right? If you think good things, what's in your brain, it will affect your life. But the kind of peace that simply thoughts bring, it's, it's fragile at best. Because we all know that there are there are life circumstances that no matter how good you think about something or what you're visualizing, there's still lack of peace. There's some things that, that simply thinking about it won't make better. See, we aren't called simply to fill our mind with good things. We're called to fill ourselves with the source of all that is good. We're called to fill our mind with Jesus Christ himself. And that's our second thing we're going to see. So firstly, yes, a virtuous mind does bring peace. But, but secondly, a perfect peace only comes through Jesus. And we see this in a verse 9. So verse 9, Paul shifts from what we think about to our actions. It says, uh, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So the situation, uh, in case you forget or not clear, Paul is writing to a group of Christians in Philippi. It's the name of the city where he planted a church, which means he spent a lot of time with them. And so what he's asking them to do, he's saying, hey, remember what you saw in me. That's how I want you to live. And so the, the question is, what, what did they see in him? What kinds of things had the Philippians learned, received, and heard in Paul? What did they see in him? And the answer the answer is that they had seen what happens to someone when you come to truly know Jesus. Because Paul was at one time not a peaceful man. If, if you know the story of Paul, you know that at one point he was a persecutor of the church. He hated Christians. He hated Jesus. And he would bring violence and destruction everywhere he went. He would arrest people. He would see people uh, put to death because of their faith in Christ. But then he met Jesus. He met Jesus and he became an ambassador of peace. He became a bringer of truth. He was changed from the inside out. And so as they lived with him, they were able to see what happens to someone when you truly come to know Jesus. What kind of transformation takes place? Uh, as I was doing my reading to prepare for uh, this text, I came across one passage from a commentator that I think uh, puts this all together rather nicely. So this is Dennis Johnson. And he says this, uh, when, we, when we read the virtues listed in verse 8 in light of Paul's gospel-focused message and lifestyle in verse 9, we see that he is not just saying, think good thoughts. Rather, he is calling us to ponder the dimensions of Christ's perfection. See, it's more than just a list of good things. 
What Paul wants to do is, is to, in light of who Jesus is, look for these things in the world. Consider more fully who Jesus really is. See, Jesus, he, he's the gold standard of truth, of honor, of justice and beauty and, and commendation and excellence and everything that is worthy of praise. We see this in his life. We see this in the way that he treated people. Even people that were the worst of people. Even people like Paul who were persecuting his followers. Uh, this is what Paul says about Jesus and about the way that he was treated by him. In 1 Timothy, Paul says, um, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. See, this is the uniqueness of Jesus. Um, it's not only that he is the perfect expression of everything excellent. It's that in his perfection, he draws near to those who are imperfect. Right? He comes near to us, who aren't perfect at all. And he brings grace and love and patience into our life. See, perfect people, they don't usually act this way. I mean, do you know some perfect people? Some people think they're perfect. They also will try to transform you, but it's generally not through grace. It's generally through a lot of nagging, right? If you live with someone who thinks they're perfect, um, they will gladly tell you how you could be more perfect. Uh, they will uh, give you lists or comments, right? Just gentle, helpful comments about how you could better, you know, put the dishes away or load the dishwasher so that it'd be more efficient, Right? They have just subtle little things to do. After you've done something, they will come and just remake it so that it's perfect and you will feel bad about yourself. And see, they, they have these lists for you. Why? Because they want you to be perfect. See, generally, perfect people, they're, they're the worst, honestly. And amazingly, Jesus is the best. He's perfect and yet he's the best. How is that possible? Well, it's possible because he's perfect in every way. Not just in the things that he can do, but in the way that he relates to others. See, Jesus is perfect in patience. He's perfect in grace. He's perfect in mercy and love. He lived a perfect life in our place, and then he went to the cross, the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And in that, there's perfect peace. Because we don't have to do anything. We don't have to achieve anything. We don't have to try to be perfect. He's done it all for us. And so... Yes, we should fill our minds with all these good things. That Paul is saying that, but only after we've come to know Jesus. Only after we've come to experience the source of all those good things, which is Christ himself. And we actually see this dynamic of, of really being in Christ and then being peaceful because we are believers, because we've been made right with God, and then experiences his, experiencing his peace uh, in those two verses, the bookend verses, verses seven and nine. It's not just that they're bookends. There's actually a bit of a loop that develops if you look at them in tandem. So verse seven says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's the key. So if, if you're here this morning and you know Christ as your savior and Lord, you've said, Jesus, I know that I'm not perfect. I know that I need help. I know there are consequences for my sin. Thank you, Jesus, for going and atoning for them, paying the price for them. Now that I am in relationship with you, I have peace with God. I have heaven to look forward to. There is a measure of peace that cannot be shaken. But then verse 9 reminds us that as we cast our minds and our thoughts and our actions towards living 
goodly, living in a way that is honoring to God and all those things, the purity and peace and, and justice, in living in that way, we experience a greater measure of peace. It says in verse nine that the God of peace will be with you. So we have this dynamic of we have a peace that cannot be shaken and then we experience it more fully as we live that out in our life, especially when it comes to our mind. When your mind is full of the things of God, when your life is busy following Jesus, you will have a peace that is beyond anything the world has to offer. The the peace of God, the God of peace will be with you. Now this is a great blessing for us. This is, this is what we're looking for as, as humanity. We're looking for this, this peace of mind, something that will last, something that will endure. But there's something else that needs to be said about it. And that's the third point. It's this. Peace of mind, it isn't just about you. It seems like it is because we have one mind. We, we don't share it. But in fact, it's, it's about more than just us. Um, do you know what you will get if you do a Google image search uh, for the phrase peace of mind? I will tell you. I've done the research. What you will find are a lot of sandy beaches, pictures of sandy beaches with people like this. And they always have their arms out and they're just basking in the peace of their mind. And they have tranquil faces. Uh, sometimes they're in the lotus position, uh, you know, by a tranquil pool. Sometimes they're laying in fields of wheat because that apparently is also very peaceful. Um, <laughs> But the common thread is that they are always alone. Now, why is that? It could be because it's the people in their lives that are driving them crazy. That could be. Um, But I think it's also because, from the world's point of view, uh, peace of mind is chiefly an individual thing, right? For you to have peace of mind, what you really need to do is is get on your own. You need some me time. You need to really uh, be yourself, on your own, without the distractions, without anyone demanding anything from you. You need to be what you want to be. Then you will have peace of mind. It's about you. But that's not what we find in our text. See, the context of this passage is not individual, it's corporate. Uh, If you remember the context, uh, Paul has been talking to us in chapter 3 about what it means to be citizens of heaven. What he's saying is that as the people of God, you are a people. You are a group. You are citizens. You are part of a community. And in fact, the whole letter of Philippians has been in large part about what it means for us to live in community, for there to be peace and harmony. Yes, it's about us as individuals, but we have a part to play within the church. Also, uh, at the beginning of chapter four, this was last week, we saw that Paul was asking for help for two ladies uh, with strange names, Yodia and Syndiki, and they they were in conflict. And what Paul was saying is that this shouldn't be, there should be harmony within the church, so he's asking for help, and that's a group effort that they would come alongside and that there would be some unity between these, these sisters who are having a disagreement, that's also the call for us. As we grow in peace individually, it will be a benefit to our community. It will be a benefit to our family, a benefit to our church. Uh, we see this uh, in other, other places where Paul teaches on this. Here's uh, one verse from 2 Timothy. It says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Uh, the, the picture there, the metaphor, is that we are utensils in the house of God, in the master's house. And what he's saying very simply is, look, you, you can't use a dirty utensil. You don't put it out for a dinner. It needs to be cleaned. Now, he's not talking about unto salvation. That's already been done. But as believers, there is a cleaning that we need to you know, undergo that we need to pursue so that we will be most useful. 
I think this is common sense. I mean, how helpful are you going to be in helping others to grow in godliness if your mind is filled with lies? I mean, if you're struggling mentally with really understanding the truths of God about you, if you're giving yourself over to things that are untrue, how are you going to be helpful to the people around you? How are you going to have a word of blessing for them? How effective will you be in helping a friend deal with his or her sin if your thoughts are filled with impurity? If that's what you've been looking at all week. I mean, this is a problem. This is a problem especially for families. For dads who have not really dealt with their issues of lust. It's a problem because your children are going to come to a point where they need someone to to help explain God's design for sex. To help navigate the very complicated world we live in about sexuality and gender. And, and sadly, at many times, when, when a child comes to the preteen years, the teen years, and they really need someone to come alongside them, their dad doesn't feel comfortable doing it. Why? Because, uh, because he's not doing it himself. Because he's struggling with it himself. And so he's not useful in a way that he really needs to be. And, and he's, he takes a step back. He makes himself scarce. See, there are many, many opportunities that we might be missing because we have not pursued purity in our life. We've not pursued that which is good and commendable and honorable. And we don't even see it because we're consumed with, with struggling with the desires that we have, with bringing our lives into line with what God has for us. And what we see here is that for us as a community to be strong, in our community groups, in our families, in our relationships, for us to really be a blessing to others, we as individuals need to do some work with God on this. Now, the great thing, the beautiful thing about the gospel is that no matter where you are in that, whether this is a struggle you've been at for years, or whether there's some other measure of sin, this isn't just an issue for men, it's an issue for all of us, that we may be allowing certain sins to plague our mind and our heart and our life, the great news is that there is always a door open to forgiveness. That because Jesus is the perfect sacrifice, that means that he atoned for sin, past, present, and future. So at any moment, regardless of where you are, regardless if you feel like you've been battling whatever it is for decades, Jesus says, I I want you to come close. That I want you to experience my forgiveness and grace yet again. And the promise is there that as you do that, as you turn from darkness to light, and that's, that's the lie that we believe, that it's better to be alone, to deal with it on our own, but we see again and again in Scripture that when you bring this to light, that that's where sin dies, that it's in the darkness and secrecy where it flourishes. But as a people of God, for those of you who know Jesus, there is there's work to be done for us as a community, here, you know, in our relationships, and beyond. And for that to happen, each one of us, we need to have minds that are filled with the good things that God has for us. We need to be in right relationship, which means that whatever there is that's plaguing us, we need to have the conversations about it. And I'd encourage you to do that. I think this text is is pushing us to pursue a thought life where we have uh, some transparency with the people around us. Where when there's lies, we can bring it to people and say, man, I... And I just keep believing these things. I need help to see what God has to say about it. I need accountability. I need someone to speak into my life. That's, again, the, the purpose of community groups, that we might be in relationship in such a way, not, not with everyone, not broadcasting it from the housetops, but that there are people who know the things that we struggle with 
And in that, we are saying, Lord, I believe. I believe what this passage says, that there will be greater peace in my life as I pursue these good things, as I come to know you more as my Savior and Lord, and as I, I really want to take every thought captive. I really want my mind renewed as I pursue you, Jesus, in your word. I, I just trust you, Lord, that even though it might be difficult for a time, there will be greater peace. There will be greater harmony in my life. And the great thing about that is that as we, as we pursue Christ in that way, that the opportunities will then abound because we will have stories to tell of the grace of God. That we will, as people share with us what they're struggling through, will say, hey, I struggle with that too. We're not, we're not trying to achieve a community where we all pretend we're perfect. Of course we're not. But we can share stories about how God has helped us to gain victory over these difficult things in our thoughts, in our actions. And in that, there's much glory for God. And there's much help for each other. And as we go out into the world and we, we come into contact with those who are broken and hurting, we'll say, yeah, we've been there too. We know that, but we also know a God who brings peace. Complete peace from the inside out. So this text is for us as individuals, yes. But it's also for us as a community. For us in relationship, that we can really, we can really be effective. So my hope is that there's some work going on in your heart. I hope that for each of us, as we go from this, that we would have a greater desire to have a mind filled with these good things, a mind filled with who Jesus is, and that in that, uh, there would just be great blessing for the people around us. So with that in mind, let me pray, and then we'll respond. Uh, Lord God, we thank you for uh, the, the clarity of your word. We thank you, Lord, that uh, you know us through and through. God, I pray that uh, this would be the desire of our hearts as a people, I pray, God, for those of us who know you as Savior and Lord, God, that we would have a greater desire to cleanse ourselves, Lord, to make good decisions about what we devote ourselves to, what we allow to enter our mind and, and what we give ourselves over to. I pray, God, that if there is repentance that's needed, confession of sin, Lord, I pray that we would have the courage to do that, to have conversations with people in our life, to go and talk, to just make sure that it's known, Lord, so that, so that we could bring sin into the light. And I thank you, Jesus, that when that happens, Lord, we are able to experience your forgiveness and grace. Lord, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I pray, Lord, again, for those who are here this morning, perhaps who don't know you. Lord, they're here visiting, and, and this is perhaps all new. God, I pray that you would still have spoken to them this morning. And Lord, that there would be a, a, a desire, perhaps questions, Lord, and perhaps good answers today. We thank you, Jesus, for who you are, as Savior and Lord, I pray, God, that uh, in, in this knowledge, Lord, we would just grow in peace. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.